Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On this week's episode, we are continuing our Fantastic Beasts, the Crimes of Grindelwald character discussions with Jacob Kowalski. And we are going to discuss where he's been and where he is going. And to help us with today's discussion, we are joined by one of our Slug Club patrons, Roshni. Hi, Roshni. Welcome to the show. Hi, hi. Hi. It's great to have you. You're a longtime listener of the show, right? For over 10 years. We're friendly with Roshni at this point. She's been at a bunch of our uh, Zoom hangouts that we do for the podcast. Before we get to some news and then our Jacob discussion, let's get your fandom ID. Okay. My favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. My favorite movie, um, if you'd asked me three weeks ago, it would have been Prisoner of Azkaban too, but I just did a rewatch and I'm going to say the extended edition of Sorcerer's Stone. Ooh, wow. I need those deleted scenes in there. I am a Hufflepuff, proud Hufflepuff, and I think I'm a Thunderbird, but I can't remember. (laughs) My favorite baked good in the muggle world is a cupcake. In the wizarding world, it'd be a cauldron cake, basically chocolate. And what would I say to an augury if it cawed in front of me? I would say, well, hello to you too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and don't they foretell death? Maybe we're going to talk about this later, but doesn't yeah. Augury's cry oh. foretell death? It's a very specific uh, Crimes of Grindelwald themed fandom ID sub question this week. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. And we're having this recurring issue I've noticed on the show where people are like, I think my Overmorning house is this. And it's because we can't. Can we access that anymore? I, don't I know you can't take the test. You can. Yeah. I just love how most of the time uh, we manage to do an entire episode without having a single Gryffindor on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with that? We thought yeah. it was the most popular house for the longest time. I know. I feel like the last time we had a Gryffindor on was Ivana, right? Wow. Oh, I think yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think we need to do a poll on our social media channels asking what Hogwarts house all of our listeners are. I think that'd actually be a fun uh, little data point for us. Well, it's great to have you here, Roshni. Thanks so much for joining us today. And thanks for your support on Patreon. And actually, speaking of our Patreon, we are going to be revealing a couple of new and updated benefits for 2022 next week. So stay tuned for that. If you listening want to become a patron, check out patreon.com slash mugglecast. You can even pledge for a year up front. And if you do that, you will actually receive a 10% discount for making that year-long commitment. And by the way, existing patrons can upgrade to the annual membership as well and also get that discount. We don't talk about that benefit enough, and I think a lot of people like it. So definitely check that out. And thanks, everybody, for your support. I did it. Oh, you did? Yes. Awesome. Yep. You said 10% discount and like the first time and I was like, and I'm going to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> it works you. out to at least a month free. Plus then every month when it comes through, my husband can't say you're still you're still paying for that. We don't have that money. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you can sneakily become a patron. <laughs> a lot of perks. You know what? A lot of people, not just MuggleCast listeners, but a lot of people say they prefer annual memberships because it's only one charge on their credit card a year, maybe for reasons like that. I hadn't considered that would be one of the reasons, but you're probably (laughs) right. (laughs) So anyway, let's move on to a little bit of news. Here's some good news for anybody who has been collecting the illustrated editions of the Harry Potter books. Illustrator Jim Kay announced the Order of the Phoenix illustrated edition is finished. And according to Bloomsbury's website, is going to be out October 11th. Goblet of Fire was released October 2019, so it's going to be a three-year wait. 
So here's some other news. This is a little bit frustrating, but we wanted to share this as a sort of PSA. If you bought the Harry Potter ebooks through Pottermore.com, maybe five, ten years ago at this point, you need to make sure you have them downloaded because they will no longer be available for download after January 31st. You might remember back in the day when Pottermore launched, it was the exclusive place to buy the Harry Potter ebooks when Harry Potter ebooks were finally released. Remember, it took a long time for the ebooks to finally uh, come out. You couldn't buy them on Amazon or anywhere else. You had to buy them on Pottermore's website. It was some deal with Sony. And then what ended up happening was Pottermore Inc., the business side of Pottermore, was struggling financially for a few years, and then they finally started offering the Harry Potter ebooks everywhere else. And now they're about to be inaccessible for those of you who bought the ebooks through Pottermore's website. So buy them, you have, or sorry, so download them, you have until the end of the month. And hold on to them, because if you lose them again, you're going to have to rebuy the Harry Potter books. And that is frustrating on multiple levels these days. By the way, these also don't work with Amazon Kindle. You have to convert them to a different format first. So that's a little frustrating as well, considering Kindle is one of the biggest e-readers, if not the biggest e-reader on the planet. And this is frustrating, and it's the second example of your once good digital purchase becoming inaccessible. We were talking about this with Wizards Unite. Some people spent some money, some real muggle money, within Wizards Unite, the app that is now closing at the end of the month, and you're not going to be able to use that game anymore. Let's also not forget about Wizarding World Gold as well. That's something that I know we talked about towards the end of last year that is no longer going to be available. So mm-hmm. I think this franchise is going through a bit of a shift. Yes. Getting rid of things that maybe aren't profitable and aren't working as well as maybe they thought they would. Clearing the deck, so to speak. Roshni, I think you have a note here that the Pottermore versions of the books are DRM free, meaning you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah, I mean, and I think I would take that and rather convert it than have like a file that's like, you know, attached like, you know, all my Audible books, you know, your Kindle books, like you can't tote that file around anywhere. And that's so frustrating, at least like this way, you have the downloaded copy, you own that downloaded copy, you can open that downloaded copy wherever. So, I mean, in some ways, that's more ownership than you would get if it was a Kindle file. So True, right. The Kindle books, the audiobooks that you mentioned, they're locked to a specific platform. Yeah. Digital media that you purchase really might not be around forever, especially if it streams. So I'm really glad we're covering this just to give people the heads up. They have like, you know, 17 more days to make a change. And we're your Harry Potter friends. We look out for you. Yeah. And of course, just for the record, this problem with, you know, spending money in digital worlds and then no longer having access to these things isn't exclusive to the wizarding world. Just to be fair, it's something you got to keep in mind for all things that you buy digitally. Apple one day could decide, you know what? We're not going to give you access to those movies anymore. We're shutting down. It's unlikely, but it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair, though, for members of this community to expect better from the Wizarding World franchise because of how robust um, and longstanding this fandom is. I think it's it's not a very big ask to say, make these files accessible to people in perpetuity. They paid for them. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And if things were different with the author, you may even have the author advocating on behalf of what you just said, Laura. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like we bought them from her website. Like she announced that it existed. We bought them there. That's that store. Why wouldn't Warner Brothers or whoever owns the rights, Scholastic, why wouldn't they continue to offer and own the rights if you purchased ones? I get that. I think it is different with Harry Potter. All good points. All right, so let's get to our main discussion today. Eric, we're talking about Jacob. We are. And first, I have to ask you, Andrew, there was a big announcement that you said there was going to be a big, big, big announcement, major announcement. Micah's shirt may offer us some clues for those who are watching. But what what is this big announcement we teased? Because I got like five different emails going. What's it going to be? Really? Oh, man. Okay. well, don't get too excited. It was that hyped up. When we do these character discussions, typically we time them around a certain character's birthday. So if we're talking about Harry or Hermione, whoever. And we wanted to talk about Jacob in the lead up to the third Fantastic Beast movie. And we said, okay, well, when's Jacob's birthday? Let's just have a discussion whenever month his birthday is. And there is no birthday for him as far as we can find. So we said, why don't we give him a birthday? And then I said, well... Why don't we put his birthday on one of those dumb national XYZ holidays that you always read about? National Pizza Day, National Wear Your Sunglasses Day, National Drink Three Cups of Coffee Day. There's so national many of these. National Wear Your MuggleCast t shirt day. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. man. We're part of the problem. June I actually 2nd, really by don't the like way. These yes. <laughs> yeah. Days. I think they're silly. <laughs> but anyway, so we looked in January and we found a couple of days that we thought would fit Jacob perfectly. And we decided that January 15th, National Bagel Day, is going to be Jacob Kowalski's birthday. This is canon, according to MuggleCast. <laughs> and here's the thing, as I said in the chat when we were discussing this, as far as we know, Jacob is a New Yorker, right? So right. he loves his bagels. There's right. no question. So true. Absolutely. That's it. I love There's bagels. No I, I live for bagels. I have bagels being delivered to my house today it's called Bantam <laughs> Bagels because I can't find them in stores. I had to start ordering them online. I got desperate. On the 15th, I'm going to be sure to carry my everything bagel seasoning around with me and put it on everything I eat in honor <laughs> of Jacob Kowalski. <laughs> so listen up, MuggleNet, Harry Potter lexicon. And and fans, listeners, we need you to rally around this. Please go to the Harry Potter wiki, all those places. Get his new birthday into these Wikipedia pages. January 15th is Jacob's birthday. You heard it here first. Thank you. I think think we should should also try and make it um, National Demiguise Shaped Pastry Day um, in honor (laughs) of Jacob. Yes. Uh, I love that idea. That's a wonderful idea. I think that this is perfectly fair. I mean, as you'll all recall, um, we made some like official fandom announcements about the um, Harry Potter reunion, the 20 year reunion on HBO Max. We found out a a list of things that happened behind the scenes that weren't featured in the documentary and they were absolutely true. So it's a good point. Yeah, we've got a lot of scoops on this show. (laughs) A lot of scoops. And by the way, I did go to nationaldaycalendar.com. The site catalogs all the national days, quote unquote. And I did submit one for Jacob. And I haven't heard back yet, but I'll let everybody know if they accept our proposal. I called it National Muggle Bread Baking Day. I didn't think they would (laughs) want a specific name. That's in the rules. No specific names. And I explained to them Mm. why we want to create this day. 
Do you think Jacob is a schmear kind of guy on the bagel? I feel like he's a lox, lox and schmear. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lox is salmon, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lox is so okay. good. I do know. Yeah. What kind of bagel do you think he likes? Is it in everything? Cinnamon raisin, maybe? Oh, I can yeah. see that. This isn't healthy, but I love a salt bagel with veggie mm. cream cheese. Oh, those are so good. <laughs> or what about well, the- all of um, this discussion already is making me hungry. I know. I'm really upset. What about like the <laughs> cheddar bagels? Like they have that like cheese crust on them. Mm. Like an Asiago cheese bagel. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Real good. I just love a bagel sandwich. Oh, my gosh. You're making uh, me really hungry. <laughs> I know. What are we doing? Let's move on. Come on, Eric. <laughs> yeah, they're all shaped like beasts or something. So, okay. So this is, uh, as we have been doing, a continuation of our original character discussions from the first Fantastic Beasts. And this one, of course, uses all of the uh, information we found out in Crimes of Grindelwald. In particular, the episode where we first discussed Jacob as a character discussion was 319. So if anybody wants to reference that or is interested in like the continuity of it all, May 8th, 2017 is when we last discussed Jacob as a character discussion. And we're back. So (laughs) we already covered why we're talking about him today. And uh, getting back to some of the overall themes of our previous discussion. Again, we're pulling the same threads again. We talked about how Jacob's role in the first Fantastic Beast movie is really to be both an accessibility standpoint for the audience to really get this muggle's view of the wizarding world, as well as uh, his place emotionally as the heart of the film. And there's a lot that Crimes of Grindelwald does differently, um, but I think that that's still, both of those things are true about Jacob. I think he, maybe in a smaller way, still is the heart of the film, but also still is kind of our eyes and ears into the craziness that all these wizards have going on. Do you guys agree? I do. And I really feel like, of you know, Newt, I think, stayed true to character. But we've spoken before about how Queenie in particular really deviates from the character that was presented to us in the first Fantastic Beasts film. That's not true for Jacob. Jacob is himself. His character continues to be strong. Um, and based on his experience fighting in a war, he knows an autocratic sociopath when he sees one. And he's very quick to call that out about Grindelwald. So that just made me connect with him more as a character, because even as the most vulnerable character in that room, he stood up for what was right. And that makes him my favorite. He's great. That's a great point. Yeah. When you talk about him being vulnerable, I'm brought back to that for line from the first film, your skull is susceptible to damage. <laughs> like his Everything is susceptible to damage. He can't defend himself. He doesn't have a wand yet. And Jacob is just such a refreshing aspect of the series because it is a muggle getting a leading role in this story. Mm-hmm. And I've I've always appreciated that about Jacob. Now, Roshni, you actually had a really interesting point here about Jacob's character being an archetype. Yeah, actually, my husband had brought this up when I was rewatching for for tonight. Um, and he's like, you know, he really is like everyone's favorite, right? It's like, definitely. He said, it's too bad he's an archetype. And it's like, you know, he's kind of like the larger man whose weight kind of gets played for comic laughs. And then who is with the woman who's sort of like out of his league. And I was like, you know, that's it's not a bad point. So he kind of, I guess, in a way is an archetype. You know, I could do without the 
like, you know, we, I could have done without the scene with the suitcase in the first movie where he's like, can't get into the suitcase and is jumping around. Uh, it's funny, but it's also not funny. I guess. Yeah. In a way, I guess he's an archetype, but I don't know if that matters because we love him anyway, right? Yeah. It's an archetype that works. I'd, I'd be curious if his size was written into the role initially or if they felt really strongly about Dan Fogler. I wonder which came first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they put in the scene with the suitcase after. Where he like can't get into the suitcase, right? Yeah, sort of like, like jumping around for a visual yeah, gag. Yeah, of like oh, it might have even been that actor's idea. Like oh, wouldn't it be funny if I like jump in, kind of a thing. That's true. Just, yeah. you know, I will say they're probably going to get away from the uh, larger physical humor, larger bodied physical humor, because Dan Fogler is losing weight. You can tell <laughs> even in the third trailer he's lost a significant amount of weight, and so Jacob yeah. himself, he's been laying off the pastries. Well, even when we saw him. Was it two years ago at LeakyCon in Boston? Mm -hmm. He had slimmed down pretty significantly. Yeah, Yeah, I also wondered in that first movie if they maybe enhanced that a bit as part of the joke. Because there are times in the film where like, I'm not sure if he's wearing some kind of like padding or something, Mm. um, which would also speak to Roshni's point about having the fat characters like the comic relief. And I think as a society, we are starting to get away from that because it's it's just cheap. It's cheap humor. It's like, okay, let's go for the low-hanging fruit um, and make fat jokes. And it's like, you know, there there's so many other ways to be creative and make a character loved. And I think that that's something that Jacob's character and, and that Dan Fogler and his portrayal really shows is that there doesn't need to be a commentary on his physical appearance because he's honestly one of the best characters in the franchise. Definitely. And I didn't even think about this now until this was brought up, but the whole erumpent scene where he's getting chased and he goes and he runs up the tree and doesn't the tree start to give a little bit? That's mm-hmm. right. It does. But I think it's also probably because the erumpent does something to the tree. Yeah. It like, puts its uh, horn into it. Yeah. Right? It, like heats it up or something. I don't yeah, know. Right. It glows. Liquid hot magma. Right. But it's not as funny if you have like the super athletic wizard running away from the erumpit. Right. Right. Because the stakes aren't as high. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And I I believe, uh, Mikey, you added some other ideas just about, you know, Jacob's role introducing the audience from a muggle's perspective. So we started talking about this a little bit. I think Andrew actually touched on it a bit already, but I thought it could be interesting to talk about Jacob's role as our ambassador in the Fantastic Beast series. This is really the first time that we've seen a muggle be fully immersed into the wizarding wizarding world. Um, This never really happened during Harry Potter. And I think it makes sense that it didn't. I think there was a story to tell and the story was focused on Harry. So adding somebody with really no magical background would have probably just taken away from that. But I'm just curious, why introduce in this series a muggle as one of the core four? Is it because it's an adult series as opposed to Harry Potter, who, which you could argue became an adult series, but at the beginning probably wasn't? I think the fact that it's new and exciting that we are seeing adult characters firsthand, like adult wizard characters, period, that maybe it's in an effort to just do all the different things we really didn't have a chance to during Harry Potter. So that involves bringing in a muggle, involving him in situations where 
he can see what's going on and do what's going on, as opposed to a muggle child would never have had a place in the original stories, like you're saying. So maybe it's just in the interest of doing something completely new and fresh. Well, then, of course, you think about the Grindelwald angle with him wanting to end the international statute of secrecy, putting a muggle directly in the middle of this conflict makes it all the more interesting as well. And then, of course, we think about what happened with Queenie in in Crimes of Grindelwald. So I I think it's those two things. I think it's also just an interesting way to shake up the Wizarding World stories. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see future stories, official stories. We're seeing some more muggle wizard relations, larger relations, or maybe some more intimate relationships. So there's a lot of interesting angles I think you could take when you work a muggle into the Wizarding World. I think it was also probably done with the hope that it could draw in more fans to the Wizarding World, maybe people who missed the boat on Harry Potter, um, because they could come see these movies and actually kind of feel like they were seeing Jacob's perspective of the world and learning about it that way. Um, So that maybe the concept of this magical world didn't feel like there was quite such a barrier of entry, you know? So that was probably Mm. part of it. Yeah. I like that. I thought of this. It's Jacob Kowalski is Harry Potter's I love magic line spread out <laughs> to a character. Basically. Like yeah. a character form in this movie and it were in the in the movies and it works really but well. It also could be to give the main character in Newt a muggle best friend, right? Kind of blending yeah. those two worlds together. Somebody who himself was an outcast and at least in his own mind, and wasn't able to find any friends. He says as much, I think, in the first movie. So to have somebody who's a friend from that other world, I think, uh, was really cool. I wonder if he's he's kind of there for the main characters and, and all the characters in the story to kind of be like, see you guys kind of hate muggles, not hate muggles, but you, th- you think so poorly of muggles and um, that they shouldn't have any interaction with wizards. But here's a muggle who's not only you know, helping us with, with our villain, you know, helping us defeat Grindelwald, who's, okay, I mean, he does, you know, attack muggles, but, you know, he's a, someone who's an antagonist to the wizarding world. And here's a muggle who's not persecuting wizards, who's not trying to steal magic or whatever. And so maybe he's there to kind of be that sort of proof too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Kind of like a, you know, a fundamentally good guy who's yes. not, all the lies you're about to tell is, about muggles just are disproven by one look at this guy. The other thing is, um, you know, with Jacob too, the universe or the world we were introduced to in 1920s America was so aggressively more anti-muggle than the, than the 90s Britain that we're familiar with. So yeah. to really have them go so hard against, quote, the nomad um, in the 20s and not have that like a muggle character to kind of bounce that off of would have seemed pretty weird. We might not have taken it as strongly as being like, oh, now there's like a forbidden love element to the tr- the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, that's a great So how point. crazy the, the law is that, that Queenie can't marry and him can't get married. Right. Yeah. So we're Jacob, and I wanted to know, since we're Jacob, what would we have done in his shoes after the first film? Would we have packed it up? And you know, we probably would have remembered some things because of the swooping evil, or uh, would we have wanted to get a little bit more magic? in the future. 
I think after you get a taste of that, you want to come back for <laughs> yeah. more, even though it is yeah, really dangerous. Yeah, how can dangerous. you not want more? Yeah, it's just so dangerous, though. So you got to give him the fact that he is quite brave. Maybe he's the Gryffindor. Maybe. He's the Gryffindor in today's discussion. Yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> Uh, you know, if I were him, though, and, and I had gone through everything that I've gone through, assuming that me and Queenie reconcile over our differences about love potions, I would insist upon therapy before we proceeded any further with that relationship. There's a lot of baggage to unpack there. Um, so that's what I would do. That's just a good call with any of these relationships. Yeah. Like, go talk to somebody first, <laughs> especially on episodes where BetterHelp is a sponsor. Returning to our character discussion on Jacob Kowalski, the first two questions we ask uh, or have been asking when getting into Crimes of Grindelwald discussions is what happened to the character between the films and what happens to the character sort of at the beginning of the movie where we find them. So let's focus on what happened between the films to Jacob. We are told that even though we agonize over how Jacob's memory, which was taken from him supposedly in the first movie, how it would come back to him. How can he still be part of the core four if he doesn't remember anything? And there were theories. We theorized for a long time, many episodes about how big a deal the memory loss thing was going to be. And it turns out it's not a big deal at all because <laughs> apparently he never forgot some stuff because they weren't all bad memories and the swooping evil potion, even though he like, looks and blinks a couple times toward the sky. Apparently, it wasn't that big of a deal. And Jacob didn't actually forget his closest wizard friends. But see, I do feel like he did temporarily forget still, and it took a little time for his memory to come back. Or they were completely misleading us at the end of the first Fantastic Beast movie, because there's a couple of key scenes. Jacob's in his shop. And he gets asked by a muggle how he comes up with ideas for his pastries. And he claims he doesn't know how he comes up with these ideas. When I was thinking about this yesterday, I was like, well, maybe he actually was just lying there. So let's assume he was lying and he's just, you know, just to play along. But then Queenie walks in and Jacob grabs the back of his own neck and and has a glint of recognition in his eye. He's it looks like he sort of recognizes Queenie but doesn't really. And so I think the only feasible explanation for these brief lapses of forgetfulness because I really do think Jacob did forget at least in this little period that we're seeing um is that his memory was wiped but it took a little bit of time for the good memories to come back. Because if you're put in that situation, I would still think it would affect your brain, right? Yeah. Yeah. The impression that I got was that those good memories were still accessible somewhere deep in his subconscious. And that seeing Queenie is what kind of jarred his memory, like jogged his memory and, um, you know, brought all of the positive memories of everything that happened back. But question did it bring the bad memories back too does he remember the bad stuff that that's, happened or only the good stuff that's what confuses me about that scene because he reaches for the mertlap bite which wouldn't have been a mm-hmm. positive memory unless he really enjoyed getting snacked on by a <laughs> mertlap i mean but, who wouldn't right? I mean, yeah who doesn't but Um, I don't know. I always felt that scene too was too quick. Like I know they want to give you a little bit of hope at the end of the movie, but he literally just had his memory erased several minutes earlier. And already they're giving you this clue that 
he's not really going to forget what happened. I feel yeah, like, like they could we, have held that off till the next movie. Yeah, like we, we needed to end the movie somewhere, but like, don't worry, guys, it's going to be fine. On the boat. They could have done it on the boat. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just, you know, I, I would say we, we all have like really good ideas here, but the way that the dialogue in Crimes of Grindelwald it comes across like there was no temporary lapse even because he's just like, oh, it was fine. You yeah. said you said yourself, Newt, only bad memories would be erased by the swooping evil. And now Queenie and I are great. You know, yeah. so I just think it doesn't it doesn't honor sort of the what has been proposed in a way. Does say that Queenie fills him in on the on some of the bad stuff in that line, too. Oh, so that, OK, I, that's how much bad memories. I have scary memories and something else. Memory, weird memories, but. Not too many, not bad ones, and everything else Queenie filled me in on. So, God. Uh, so I think there was like the little gaps in there that Queenie filled in that he considered bad, but that doesn't answer the question of the the Mertlap bite being right. bad or good. <laughs> and see, yeah. stuff like this just strikes me. And I'm not saying this is like a broad statement about the entire Wizarding world, but things like this, things like Time Turners, which are one of our favorite plot holes. These things just kind of feel like lazy world building to me. It's like if you make it that easy for somebody to get their memory back, then what did it like? What's the cost? What's the trade off? Yeah. If there's no risk, then it's not uh, there's no payoff for that moment when he does get his memory back. Right. Not to mention, it seems like they kind of purposely misled us at the end of Fantastic Beast One to make it feel like his memory was truly gone. And then yeah. to fix it so quick, it's like, well, then the end of Fantastic Beast should have been different. The right. First movie. Yeah. And it's but they got so much to do in Crimes of Grindelwald. They have to like <laughs> tie up all the loose ends from the first film and just be like, okay, now we need to hit the ground running with Jacob already knowing everything about Newt. There's no time to, for him to like relearn in the movie. So we're just going to write it off. We're just going to say, yeah. oh, it's fine. I, I tend to think that probably they ended movie one the way they did, just in case there ended up only being one movie. Like, oh, it had to feel like a contained enough story on its own in case the franchise didn't end up taking off. Um, I don't really recall what the filming schedule was or if they were already filming Crimes of Grindelwald by the time Fantastic Beast 1 came out. But it could be that they were just trying to make the first film like a contained story just in case. That's a good point. Considering Jacob's Bakery, seeing it finally, mm -hmm. you know, furnished and in action is one of the highlights right. of the film. It was a heartfelt moment. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, was their goal with that whole sure. scene. It had to have been some time though, right? So if we think about it, you know, when he comes across, well, New comes across him and gives him the Akami shells to use as collateral for the bank. And then he had in that time to get the collateral, build the bakery, you know, start baking those pastries and, and getting customers. And so there must've been a fair amount of time before Queenie came back to see him, right? That's, yeah, that's right. And that's another weird sort of, I think it, it's the territory of like plot hole areas because so much happens in what is, I think supposed to be either a three or nine month period of time, depending on, because even crimes of Grindelwald, the movie starts and then does like a time jump. So it's really unclear, like with Grindelwald's escape. And then it's like six months after that. So all this stuff is happening between the cracks that could honestly flesh out its own 
Fantastic Beasts movie, I feel, or like a really lengthy fanfic um, somewhere in the gap. Because like everything from Newt's book signing, things that didn't make it into Crimes of Grindelwald all happened in this mysterious period in between films. And the film takes no time to actually deal with it. I need a post-credit scene. <laughs> Pre-credit Movie one had like seven endings. We need seven openings to Crimes of Grindelwald, like that address all a these. short film, like Disney animated movies do. Any of them would be less confusing. Oh, like an animatrix, yeah, version that's just uh, pre-COG stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, so anyway, moving on a little bit, um, you know, and we really talked about this on the Queenie episode, but in between films. Um, they've gotten back together. So Jacob, you know, has his memory, knows Queenie, is in love with Queenie, just like he was before. But something fundamentally has changed. Queenie cannot trust that Jacob's love for her will survive this prejudice that the United States has against nomages and uh, resorts to administering the love potion taking away Jacob's agency and abducting him and traveling to London without Jacob knowing about it. Um, He's happy to be there. It's somewhere he always wanted to go here. But Queenie has taken that choice away from Jacob. And because we talked about that so much on the Queenie episode, I kind of just want to focus on what it says about Jacob's character that once he wakes up and there's that confrontation scene in the street, He's very sympathetic towards Queenie for what for what she's done. And you can tell that I think that the love is genuine there. And, you know, he would have a right to be upset with Queenie. And I think that he's kind of just kind of chooses to focus on wanting to keep her where she is when she when, you know, they argue and she runs off. It's obviously the last thing he ever wanted. But he's also not screaming and shouting at her for what she did to him. And I think that says something about his character. Yeah, he's assuming her positive intent, right? He's assuming that she wasn't doing this to try and take my choices away from me. She was doing this because she loves me and she wants us to be able to be together. That's immediately where his brain went. And you're right, Eric, that does say so much about him as a character. And he realizes the relationship looks over. So now he's trying to do whatever he can. Yeah. But I mean, the stakes were pretty high. He says to her, when were you going to tell me after we had a couple of kids? I mean, the idea of missing those parenting moments of your firstborn, secondborn, all these things that Jacob would do in a drug induced haze if his best buddy Newt didn't, you know, tell Queenie she was doing it wrong and fixed it. He would have missed some crucial moments in his immediate family's life because of what Queenie chose to do with him. And you know, his whole arc this film is about getting Queenie back and trying to convince her that she, you know, that they're going to be okay. She doesn't deserve him, is what I'm trying to say. Do you think she would have waited that long, though? I mean, she, the real point of contention was that it was illegal for them to get married, right? So if you think she would just been like, well, now we're married, uh, so we'll face, we'll face it, you know. Together. Yeah, I mean, it's not illegal to marry muggles in the UK where they are. Well, yeah, and she says that, right? So, like, I actually had a question about that. So, like, if they had gotten married in the UK and they went back to America, would they, like, would Queenie be arrested? Like, what if Queenie, like, what if it was a couple that was 
emigrating from England, like not someone who's originally from America, like Queenie. And, um, you know, it's a muggle, non-muggle um, relationship. Are they going to be like, no, you can't live here because you married a muggle? Like, that seems intensely crazy for a government. <laughs> um, a little yeah. authoritarian yeah. there. like Yeah, yeah. but... I don't know. There, there are definitely circumstances like past and present where marital status is a big issue in certain countries and people um, will lie. And so I would imagine that Queenie and Jacob, had they gotten married in the UK and gone back to the US, they would have just had to be married in secret. Like, I don't know if they would have been able to live together or if they would have had some kind of arrangement where they did live together, but Queenie just always apparated in and out of the house so no one saw her coming and going. Just seems like a, a pretty stressful existence. And Jacob would be, you know, put in this position of choosing between the love of his life and being in the UK where they could be most comfortable, or being in his city and running his bakery that has been his dream. That's mm-hmm. really an impossible choice that's being thrust upon him in this moment. And he handles, I think he handles it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, the- I would have been mad if I had been <laughs> in his shoes. Th- this got brought up earlier, but I-, I do think this whole sequence really speaks to Jacob's character because if you think about it, he was making a decision from the start that would have ultimately protected Queenie in them not getting married, because I think more so than thinking about himself, he was thinking about her. And then he's probably 50 times, if not 100 times more vulnerable than your average person. And she takes advantage of that. There's no way that he would have been able to protect himself against a memory charm. You know, he's not a wizard as far as we know. And so it's almost like it's even worse what she did because he's a muggle. Yes. And then he is this forgiving person, as was pointed out after the fact. So I I just think you can't find a nicer guy than Jacob Kowalski. (laughs) No, and he's too good for her, but I'll stop repeating that. But, you know, I think too that this this whole conflict they're in, that a love potion was the nuclear option. You, you, you've got a person who really genuinely wants to be with you. Sure, things are a little complicated, but he's got the right attitude. And if you love somebody, that's going to be enough. You're going to figure it out. But she, we talk, circumstances unforeseen have pushed Queenie to be doing the love potion thing mm-hmm. within just a couple of months of dating him and gallivanting away. Maybe it's Tina's approval that she didn't get because Tina, Tina apparently didn't like it or approve because it's against the law. But I don't really think that's the way sisters would behave too if it really stressed the issue, if you really stress the point that the love is genuine. So just for the contrivances of the plot, that's what Queenie resorted to. But it just doesn't make sense to me. So thank gosh that Jacob is so forgiving. Otherwise, the rest of the film would be like, (laughs) we're going to Paris to chase the plot. But if I see my (laughs) girlfriend there, that's totally fine. I don't care. (laughs) What she did to me is unforgivable. It would kind of fall a little flat. Right. You'd be surprised as someone in a uh, mixed race rela- uh, relationship and knows others who've also been 
in a society and culture that's less welcoming of that, you'd be surprised how family can be not <laughs> tolerant mm. of, um, even today, of these kinds of things. So, but she, she, she says, we're not talking today. But I think ultimately Tina would have come around, of course, you know, to, to their marriage or to their relationship because it's love for her sister. But it doesn't surprise me that they were arguing about it to begin with. That's a fair point. And Tina is very straight-laced, you know? <laughs> but... I think she got to know Jacob during the first film. But the big highlight for me of Jacob's character and throughout the film is really getting to see him and Newt come back, their reunion. These are like the best buds of the Wizarding World. I mean, the first Fantastic Beasts film was kind of an ensemble film with a lot of time devoted to all four of the core four. But this film, for whatever reason, the ladies are cut out. They're just in the fringe and the main pairing of our heroes is Jacob and Newt. And they get along extremely well. You can tell they care about each other. There's this chance for Jacob, his situation aside, to offer relationship advice to Newt, who's also new at relationships. And it's a wonderful brotherhood that these two characters have, which I think is one of the highlights of Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah, and it's all showing off Dan Fogler's comedic chops. Rewatching all these scenes last night, yeah. I I was laughing out loud at a lot of his stuff. Like he's just genuinely a very funny person. And a lot of characters were split up into separate groups in Crimes of Grindelwald, right? But it looks like in Secrets of Dumbledore, we'll be getting Jacob Newt and Theseus and Eulalie Hicks all together for most of the movie. At least that's how the trailer makes it look like. Um, Don't forget so Bunty. The, oh, and Bunty, right? So, <laughs> so <laughs> on use of comma, you can't forget him either. <sighs> no. So at least, at least Jacob and Newt will still be together, and we'll presumably get a lot more of what we saw in Crimes of Grindelwald in terms of their chemistry. One of the reasons we asked Roshni what she would do uh, in the presence of an augury is because Jacob, when he goes into Newt's basement. Uh, the augury behind him cowls or caws, and he says, hey, bud or pal, I got problems of my own. So is that caw equivalent to a cry of an augury or cry be longer? I feel like I we'll know. look back at that scene and be like, that was some foreshadowing. He's going to die. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to die. That's not really good. Like, <laughs> is he yeah. gonna, He's going to die within this storyline, not of old age, of Grindelwald killing him or something like that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, if that's um, all the augury can do, that's not really helpful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're being shown kind of all the magical parts of Newt's basement and all the cool things it does. Newt dries himself off. He gets Jacob's coat for him. And, and this is just an opportunity, like you were saying, for the audience to really be like, wow, ooh, ah, magic, you know, kind of a thing, because this he's excited. Would, yeah, this is what it would be like if I was in the Wizarding World. And this is probably what they're going for when they're putting Jacob in Hogwarts in Fantastic Beasts 3, right? It's, again, us feeling like, oh, Jacob represents all of us. He, the muggle, gets to go to Hogwarts. I'm so jelly. He's living my dream right now. Absolutely. And, you know, Newt could be in a really dark place right now. Tina's not talking to him. There's been this huge misunderstanding. Uh, overall, the plot could drag you down because everything Grindelwald's planning is not good. But I think that the relationship between Jacob and Newt again really keeps Newt in this happy, thoughtful, introspective state, which is exactly what his character needs to really grow in this movie. Like, Newt is being tasked with 
an actual mission from actual Dumbledore. We now know Dumbledore's no longer hiding, saying, oh, why don't you take that Thunderbird back and see what happens? It's an active mission from Dumbledore, and that could be really a lot of pressure. But Jacob very like well diffuses that pressure for Newt. Yeah. Sometimes it just helps to have your muggle buddy with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I also wonder if Newt really likes Jacob because he kind of sees Jacob as a sort of beast to study in that he is not a fellow wizard. He is a muggle. I don't really Mm. get that vibe while I'm watching the scenes. Like you don't see Newt studying Jacob's every move (laughs) like Arthur Weasley might a muggle or a rubber duck or some other muggle object. But I just feel like maybe in the back of his head a little bit, he's like, oh, this is my pet muggle that I get to take along with me. And I get to learn about these kinds of creatures as well. Newt's obviously a very curious guy. So I think it's probably fascinating for him to inject a muggle into the wizarding world. (laughs) Which it's just so interesting to have those two as like talking about romance because Jacob, uh, we know in cut scenes from the first film, had a fiance who originally in the first film dumped him. Uh, which would have been a horrible, another really sad scene for Jacob in the first movie on top of all the others. But for him to give Newt advice on who to date is just so funny because it's like, well, <laughs> he doesn't know any better than Newt. But I think it's, again, it's that camaraderie. It's, you know, if if Jacob's a different species to Newt, then women are certainly a different species to <laughs> Newt uh, and to Jacob. And so these two guys, these two clueless guys walking around Paris, you know, looking for a guy with a feather in his cap, uh, talking about girls. I can see the appeal on the page and on the screen of why that pairing works and is rich for the story. Yeah. True. But Newt isn't a complete novice. I mean, he presumably was in a relationship with Lita. Yeah. I, I Because it's not shown, I don't get that and i often forget it you're right though there there is definitely something between him and lita enough so that it makes him cautious around theseus who's now dating her and is engaged yeah i almost got the impression about newt and lita's relationship that it was sort of like the one who got away syndrome you know like there was a vibe there there was chemistry but for whatever reason the timing just never worked out but they were both aware of the mutual attraction and it just so happened that life went on and she ended up dating Theseus um <laughs> uh with regard to uh Newt and sort of his closeness with Jacob maybe his fascination with Jacob I think a big part of that is that Newt we can see he's kind of an outcast mm-hmm. amongst wizards because of his fascination with beasts And he is so often used to people discounting um, the value of wizarding beasts and um, so used to having his interests downplayed. And Jacob doesn't do that to him. Jacob is fascinated and in awe of any and everything magic. So that's got to be a huge rush for Newt to be like, oh, my God, my life's work. Somebody cares about it. (laughs) And this person's my friend. So. That was the kind of the part of the impression I got too that it was like he saw Jacob with the animals and being kind to them, and it made him think differently about him. And then I, you know, they both were they both fought in the war. If being with the dragons on the Eastern Front means that Newt fought in the war, right? And uh, but maybe it's not that he's you know a beast like 
a muggle. Maybe it's because he's likable because he has that line the first movie where he says, people like you, don't they? So maybe that's where he's like sort of like observing this guy that people actually like talking to and get along with him. And so it's like, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's less social awkwardness there. So, you know, talking about uh, this detective duo traipsing through Paris, um, it's pretty exciting to see by the time they get to the safe house, although they haven't, they haven't been able to reunite with Queenie, which is a shame. And and we know that she actually was very close to them and nearly kind of reunited. She hears them in her head. Um, by the time they get to the safe house, we are presented with another opportunity for the muggle to really experience the uh, wizarding world. And, and for the people who've read Harry Potter to see in character, Nicholas Flamel, this 600 year old man, and Jacob has the line, what is it? You don't over, don't look over a day over, you don't look a day over 375 or something like that. Um, you know, it's an interesting opportunity for humor again, because he, they shake hands, Jacob and Nicholas Mel, and he kind of cracks a bone and it's kind of a wince of pain. Very funny stuff. Cause he's yeah. old. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cheap to me. Like, it Oh, was. he cracked his hand cause he's old. Like, how do you Have get to that age? That? Probably. How do you get to that age and just now your hands break? I don't know. It was, it was strange. It was yeah. Strange. What's yeah. the point of the elixir of life? Yeah. Right. If you can live to 660 plus uh, using the elixir of life, but not maintain vitality, like, yeah. how how is he so frail? It's obviously a visual gag and like a psych right. gag, but I don't it's think a... that would, I don't think that's right. If his hand could crack or break that easily, why can he still stand? Like, it's just all too on the nose. It's too cartoonish. Yeah. It's too Saturday morning cartoonish. It was. Yeah. But I think having Jacob there grounds it in a way because you do ultimately, like, I don't know, it softens the blow of how awkward the whole Nicholas Mamel thing is. I think it probably just depends, like, what angle you're coming from in the sense that, like, if you're, if you were a Harry Potter fan waiting to see Nicholas Flamel in, this series, I feel like you kind of got cheapened a bit with like a 2019 version of the Crypt Keeper. It, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I think back because I've read a couple books in the, uh, the secrets of the immortal Nicholas Flamel. And, you know, there are moments where because he's not taking the elixir, then he starts to get frail, then he starts to get weak. Oh. But he shouldn't, it presumably he's been taking his potion. So he should be like a vibrant, like probably equivalent, maybe like in his thirties and his forties, like yeah. not have his hand getting broken by this you know, rough and tumble New Yorker. Well, and the stone is right there. It's in his house. Right. We see it in the pantry or the cupboard. So yeah, he definitely is taking the potion. It shouldn't be this huge uh, issue where he's like, oh, I got to dust off my wand. Like I haven't seen battle in what it is there's a line about how long it's been for him and i'm just like well that's fun and all but really it's just jacob really softens those moments like where they go to the crystal ball and he's like oh you know, i looked into one of these at the fair once it's it's enjoyable it's fun it's accessible when otherwise it wouldn't work if jacob specifically weren't there yeah i'm not a fan of uh how they did nicholas well it's just not what you imagine when you think about nicholas from from reading the harry potter books like no. And just why why would you want to live that long? <laughs> it's, there's nothing there for worth it for it. Well, and also yeah. just based on what we know 
about what the elixir of life is supposed to be able to do. Um, And to Eric's point, you would want to be in your prime all the time. That's kind of the point. So yeah, I agree. I mean, reading Sorcerer's Stone, for example, when uh, Harry and Dumbledore are talking about Nicholas Flamel at the end of the the first book, um, the image I had in my head of Nicholas Flamel was not the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> well, and, and the Elixir of Life is compared to be so much better than unicorn blood, which keeps you alive even if you are an inch from death. But like the Elixir in Crimes of Grindelwald seems to be keeping Nicholas Flamel exactly at an inch from death. Like if if if, if Jacob had squeezed a little bit harder, an arm would have come out of its socket like a yeah. pop out of the elbow, and it would have been that would have been it. Totally nuts. Do you think if uh, if Voldemort had seen this movie, do you think he would want the Sorcerer's Stone as much as he did in the first book? He would have gotten a no. Yeah. He wouldn't have wasted his time. <laughs> that's that's a waste of time, especially if you're already a wisp. Like Voldemort at the time was like a wisp of smoke. And imagine how much older him. Voldemort would have looked like oh. the stone wasn't exactly helping uh, Nicholas Flamel from uh, keeping some youthful ish looks. I wonder, I really wonder if they're going to revise the whole art design around that character in future installments, because I'd love to see Nicholas Flamel, this badass 500 plus year old wizard really right. lay it down or if he was just a movie tube feature maybe maybe jacob's gonna take him to the gym and he's gonna get him in shape bulk him up a little bit and that's Training how they're gonna montage. that's how they're Need gonna some get carbs here's some sour cream that's yeah. how they're gonna get what they did to flamel back on track here's some I bagels jacob will give him some protein <laughs> bagels so roshan you had a question here about the crystal ball scene and particularly with jacob yeah so i mean you know they're looking at the crystal ball and they see uh Père Lachère, I think that's how you say it. Um, and, nice. You know, and he says, you know, he sees Queenie. He says that's where that's where she is. But how does he see this? I don't understand. Like, does he have the sight? Does Nicholas Flamel have the sight? So, like, if Nicholas Flamel has the sight and he can see it, does that mean that anyone standing next to him could also see it? In which case, then why would they have those OWL exams, OWL exams, where they have to tell the examiner what they're seeing? It doesn't make sense. How does Jacob see it? Sounds like a plot hole. That's my answer. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's a great that, observation, though. Either oh, that or it was them trying to leave breadcrumbs to imply that Jacob might have some sort of magical ability that was dormant. Uh, Which again, in the trailer of the next movie, we see him with a wand, Wand, so we can't, at this point, discount it. I know. He is not a wizard. I hate it. (laughs) Period. I think, yeah, I think that, too, I I remember talking when this movie first came out. There's so many things in this movie, like, we're getting different branches of the magic than we've gotten before, which would normally be, be cool. But when it's not explained, it's confusing. So there's so many times in this movie where a crystal ball or thin air in front of you is made to look like basically security camera footage. They do it with credence in the beginning when Newt's in the ministry too. And it's like, how is this basin showing like current events of somebody from basically like a camera's perspective? The crystal ball is just another opportunity, another example of that security kind of CCTV footage that's tapped into by magical means. It's a lazy shortcut of the plot to showcase something. And it doesn't actually mean anything that this muggle is seeing a magical object the way that it would mean something if it were in the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. That's my explanation. 
I guess it's the best best that there is. Just have to accept that. I, I mean, if Jacob were a seer, he'd be able to predict how many bagels every day to make <laughs> so they'd never run out. Uh, he'd always have the exact right amount of the exact right bagels. That's that- a real problem. So that would be a great bagel shop that I would frequent. So taking a turn for the slightly darker, because we know we're getting towards the end of the film here. Uh, and the Lestrange tomb, was it Père Lachaise, did you say? Yeah, Père Lachaise, I think. it's that, That's what the captions say. I still don't understand it, because <laughs> uh, okay. I don't understand how that relates to Lestrange. The first time I watched the movie, all of that just kind of went over my head. Everybody mumbles in this movie, too. Yes. We talked about that before. But, uh, you know, when Grindelwald comes to tell everybody or show everybody what's to come, and and that's, again, a precognitive vision that, general audiences can be shown muggle or wizard or not. Jacob has this harrowing line of like, he looks straight at the camera, goes another war and is like real sad about it. And as we talked before, Jacob is a veteran. Jacob is a war veteran. Newt is a war veteran. These are people who just got out of the biggest war in the world up till that point within the last 10 years and are now looking down the barrel of another war, a bigger war, one that has Mushroom clouds, which probably don't mean anything to them, but they can tell mass devastation. And the film doesn't dwell on Jacob's military history. It's even a throwaway line in the first film. But at least in this moment, emotionally, you can tell exactly what's going on with Jacob. And it matters that he's a veteran. He does not, he's not inclined to seek out war for profiteering or adventure's sake. He's terrified of it. And the idea that Queenie would join somebody who's trying to start this war, even though he's claiming to be trying to prevent it, is also terrifying. Mm-hmm. And like you yeah. said, this is someone who's already fought and he's still traumatized, surely, from from fighting in this war. And I'm sure this line, by the way, resonates with a lot of people watching, whether they're a veteran or whether they have strong opinions on war. Try as he might, he really can't get Queenie to come back with him. And I don't think it's his fault at all. But also, what do we think that that means for Jacob? Like, Queenie really is hung up on this idea of marriage freedom. Like, Grindelwald does not really have to promise her anything. It's clearly an empty promise he does not intend to live up to, but she's hooked. Did anything he say, could, could he have said anything to get her to stay? I was wondering this too, and watching the scene, I don't think so. She is so far gone at that point. We've speculated maybe she was under some sort of potion or something after it's drinking tea. that tea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe. no, I don't. I don't think there's anything she he could have done. I mean, Grindelwald was really very powerful and compelling in that moment with his audience and with what he stood for and um, his goals. And yeah, there's no turning back at that point. Do we think that it's all problematic that this was all taking place inside of a cemetery? Is that foreshadowing in any way? His death? <laughs> any of them. Maybe. That's too broad to be for. If it's yeah. for any of them, it's too broad. Everybody dies in the next movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, to the point about him being able to see what was going on inside the crystal ball, and then he's the one that ends up kind of leading them there. Yeah, fair. It is interesting that in both um, the Potter books and in this story, the moment that's sort of representative of the uh, bad guy's ascent to power takes place in a graveyard. 
how much darker of a setting can you get? You can't get much darker right, than that. Right. So I was gonna, yeah, the the lighting, the set lighting team finally got everything they were ever hoping for in that one. <laughs> or the director did. He's just like stone slabs. Mm-hmm. Yes, final monochrome. Despite the downward note of sort of Jacob's romantic arc in this film, he does not get to have the girl. He does remain with the group. And the last time, I like that they kind of left it open-ended uh, because it clearly was not something they were capable of going into in the second film. But the idea that Jacob is on the bridge to Hogwarts with Nagini, with Theseus, with uh, you know Newt and the group is titillating. And the way that he looks, he's not looking straight at Hogwarts. He's just looking kind of vaguely in the distance. And like, I remember us all asking at the time, can he see Hogwarts? And Canon says no. But it's another question if he can go inside. And clearly that answer is yes. But I think I think some people did some digging on the canon around all this. And yes, you cannot see Hogwarts. And and yes, you can enter Hogwarts as a muggle. Mm. I think that makes sense. Maybe if you yeah. know that Hogwarts, you can see it. Like like a, as a muggle. Maybe. Like that's how the parents of, of students can can go in. Uh, like Moaning Myrtle's parents. Right. Yeah. That's the canon that I was referring to yeah yeah or maybe call out on myrtle what if you get personally invited by the headmaster then maybe you can see it or the defense against the dark arts teacher in this movie someone has to blindfold you then they walk you across (laughs) the bridge and then you can like once you're in you can see the walls and everything or maybe you have to hold a wand to be able to enter hogwarts that's your pass in (laughs) it's like a visitor you have to hold the the ticket from King's Cross. Stick to your ticket. You've got to like yeah. walk all the way in. Ooh, I like maybe. these theories. Maybe. But at least, you know, by the end of it, Jacob is not uh, shuttled off to America to live in a life of darkness. He gets to keep his friends. Already now, Jacob's prospects are looking up. He's with the group that I think he really cares about. I don't know how he's managing the pastry shop, but if the movie doesn't spend any time on it, I don't want to spend any time on it. So it's <laughs> like, okay, that's just he's delegated the work to somebody else. Yeah, so I, I do say, I have this note here that I think Jacob's character, we get another film where his warmth and his uh, joviality really work for the plot, really work for the characters. He betters the lives of everyone around him, and he gets to keep his friends at the end of the film. So net positive for Jacob, I think, overall. And he escapes that abusive relationship with Queenie. Yeah. So, big deal. All right, so what does the future hold for Mr. Kowalski? Uh, looks like he's going to brag to some children about a special wand. <laughs> and they can't touch it. I do like that scene. He's also going to walk through some kind of wall, but he seems to not walk through with the wizard, so I'm not sure how he manages to get through a portal. Maybe, like, you know, people, muggles all the time just lean on the, the wall between the platforms of 9 and 10 and just end up on platform 9 and 3 quarters. Like... <laughs> how Um, confusing that's a nightmare security nightmare (laughs) um so yeah because he they walk through he walks through a wall but behind it looks like newt and eulalie and yeah i don't know how he gets through i missed or forgot about that in the trailer um what other predictions do we have about what the future holds for jacob micah do you have any that's really what my question was i'm not sure exactly what the future holds for him outside of a fisher price wand (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I wonder, I know we're going to have a prediction episode at some point closer to when the secrets of Dumbledore come out, but I thought maybe we could put this to rest once and for all. Is Jacob the sacrificial lamb of the Fantastic Beast series? 
100%. Okay, wait, hold on. What does that mean? Is that a different question than asking, will he die? Like, what does it mean to be the sacrificial lamb? I'm not getting the reference. Well, Micah likes goats, lambs. (laughs) He just likes working in goats and lambs wherever he can. No, I I think it is a really good clarification question, though, because being a sacrificial lamb does not necessarily mean that he will die. It could mean that something else befalls him. But I can't really envision what that would be apart Mm. from like he loses memory of everything at the end of the series and he has no recollection of what he went through. That would be kind of tragic. I think you could call that a sacrificial lamb moment. Or he wakes up and it was all a dream. Oh, ah, the new hard no. ending. <laughs> Can you imagine? Or he has to give up Queenie in order for them to beat Grindelwald. That could be. I guess that doesn't really make him the sacrificial lamb. It makes Queenie the sacrificial lamb. But it, it would still, like, you know, he's the one that has to sacrifice his love, I guess. I think he will be the sacrificial lamb in that he dies because he's being put in the middle of this war between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in the greater wizarding world. Uh, this war very much involving muggles and he's going to lose his life over this debate. Yeah. Well, Andrew and Micah, you both know this, but coming up here shortly, we have some insider intel on some of the the uh, possible ways that Jacob will die over oh. the course of this franchise. So we'll be going over those shortly. Um, it's it's a, a list of interesting things we've heard from the writers. <laughs> We're going to get sued one Sorry. day. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Welcome to MuggleCast in 2022, where we're actually just actively making shit up. (laughs) Micah, this is question number five, I think is a good one, too. Yeah. So I wanted to know, we see him on the train, right, with the rest of the crew for this particular film. But I wanted to know, what do we think his purpose is in Secrets of Dumbledore? What does he bring to the table that the rest of the team really needs besides some really awesome baked goods Mm. heart heart muggle in wizarding situations like what though they could have left them at home comedic humor well we know that we know that oh yeah but like tactically what does he do what does he offer yeah i i would say heart would be a throwaway answer except we know how much dumbledore harps on love being such a key so even if jacob can't do magic maybe having his open heart there would be important to whatever magic is happening around him. So maybe there's that aspect for me. It's the element of surprise or because Voldemort in particular tends there tended to underestimate characters like Neville, who was pure blood by the way, but it's an easy trap to fall into. If you have a muggle running around to just assume that they're not going to be consequential to you. And so maybe Dumbledore really is relying heavily on Grindelwald just being like, this muggle is clearly around because he's their friend, but he's never going to surprise me or do anything special. And then Jacob totally surprises him by crafting a pipe bomb, just takes Grindelwald out. (laughs) And that's it. That's that's how it wraps. I learned about this in France. (laughs) You wouldn't expect the muggle to be able to kill you. That is a good secret weapon. Maybe he's there to just translate the world to Newt. 
and then translate Newt to the rest of the world because it just mm. Newt is so awkward and also mumbles. <laughs> I I love that idea. He's Newt's personal translator. Maybe he's got good girl advice and good Grindelwald advice. Oh. Maybe good war advice. He was he was mm. a soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Newt trains him up to be a better beast caretaker, and he's maybe he's maybe Jacob has a way with beasts. It's been undiscovered until movie three. And now he, you know, he'll really lean into that skill set that he's only just discovered. You can't replace Bunty. <laughs> yes, you can. Or will he? <laughs> hey, I, I will funny. not have Bunty erasure on this show, okay? It's Her not and happening. Yusuf are going to get married in the next movie. <laughs> but it's a good point, though. I mean, he gets along really well with Dougal, the demiguys, the mooncalves in... Newt's case really seemed to like him when he's feeding them. So maybe you got something there. But I could also foresee a scene in the next movie where you need a muggle to kind of get entry somewhere or have a conversation with somebody where maybe if you're a wizard just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. If you're interacting with other muggles, we know that wizards are terrible at that. Hence Arthur Weasley. I think I have it. I think he is going to be the official cook for all of Newt's animals, all of Newt's beasts. Oh, oh I love this idea. That way we can keep Bunty. Clever and cute. <laughs> I like it. So we have an exclusive 10 ways in which Jacob Kowalski will die. Now, we're not saying that all of these things are going to come true. Obviously, he can only die once. But... We, we've heard some rumors from the writer's room about some scenarios that they're uh, throwing around for consideration. Number 10, thanks to Eric's um, sleuthing, it's Jacob slips on a strudel and he just falls into traffic crossing the street. <laughs> it's so yeah. random. I wanted a very mundane death because none of us are exempt from the possibility of a random stray strudel ruining our day. This, yeah. This is a good reminder that life is fragile. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. You got to watch out for those errant strudels, you know. <laughs> Feisty. Okay, number nine. He stumbles into the Forbidden Forest unknowingly, and he's just never heard of, he's never heard from again. Uh, <laughs> they I warned love him. this because the Forbidden Forest is really dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. we really wonder, again, why is that next to a school? Really shouldn't be. <laughs> well, how, how amazing would it be if there was a shot of him just wandering into the Forbidden Forest? That was it. We never heard from him again. Nobody ever found out what happened to him. It was just like, where'd Jacob go? And he's just lost forever. That's it. That's it. It's going to be it. like, this is, this is a very old reference, so probably going to not land. But um, in the TV show Family Matters, they had like a third child who goes upstairs one day and is never in another episode again. <laughs> oh my God. Just, she just disappears. I love that. Um, okay, number eight. Probably a pretty obvious one, but the Fisher Price wand backfires on him and he just dies. Oh. Dumbledore's like, oh, I thought it was safe. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Well, we know death is irreversible. Oh, right. Shame. right. And that's Bugger. that's why he won't let Petunia come to Hogwarts. He's like, listen, the last time I had one of y'all here. <laughs> um, okay, number seven. Credence 
takes Jacob out due to being jealous that Dumbledore treats Jacob so special when he ignores his own, you know, alleged brother, gives Jacob a oh. wand, <laughs> alludes to some perhaps dormant magical ability. Credence had to learn about that uh, through Graves, right? So he's he's feeling pretty salty about it. Six one, similar to the Forbidden Forest line, he gets lost in Newt's suitcase forever and he's just presumed dead. He never comes out. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many beasts in there. They just don't know what happened. Newt's like, I've really got to clean up in there. <laughs> One of them bit his head off. Right. I mean, it, it it gives all new meaning to Roshni's idea that Jacob is the beast feeder in the next <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> That hurts. I'm sorry. See, see, this is what happens when you let me do this. I have a very dark sense of humor. This is so great. This is, where my this, mind is, this is great. This whole thing needs to be a social media clip. I'm starting to worry for Jacob now for the first time. Nothing we've talked about before has done it, but now I'm actually concerned for his fate. Okay, number five. Theseus uses Jacob as a human shield against a fantastic beast. I can 100% see this happening. Theseus uh, is like, oh, you're just a muggle. <laughs> like he's so he's so dismissive of him in the trailer. I could see it happening. And he like misleads Jacob to get him over in front of him. He's like, "Hey, come over here. I got to show no, you he something." Just, he just like jumps behind him and grabs him and uses him as a human <laughs> shield. <laughs> um, Roshni, you had a couple of additions here. You want to share? Uh, yeah. So I uh, I found out from the writers' room my my own special contacts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that Jacob actually gets crushed by a giant loaf of bread that's just expanding out of, of the oven as he's baking it. And he doesn't realize, you know, that it's oh. magical. He's used some magical flour and just, pff, just gets crushed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he gets into the kitchens at Hogwarts and he's trying to bake some baked goods and all goes backfires wrong. On him. <laughs> Kills all the house elves too in the process. They <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. can apparate away. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I heard that he walks into a rally filled with dangerous and highly accomplished wizards without any protection. You already did that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah. He lived taken. to tell the tale. <laughs> He's stronger than we think. Yep. Number two here, he sacrifices himself to save Queenie from Grindelwald, and he lives long enough for Queenie to whisper, I'm pregnant. <laughs> wow. That 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 one seems like it will actually happen. Yeah, that's yep. what I think is going to happen. <laughs> and the number one, he is given a secret mission by Dumbledore to become Grindelwald's personal pastry chef and slip him poisoned baked goods. He's discovered by Grindelwald. Rest in peace. <laughs> Calamity. This also seems possible. Yeah. It does. Wow. I think we have a couple of honorable mentions here. Yeah, I, I had a few. The first is chokes on a Niffler pastry, just just to be no. clear. <laughs> right. <laughs> Again, anytime you put something into our mouths, we are risking our lives just a little bit. And... Uh, I was told that they were actually going down this road in the first movie, but they decided against it. Um, he finally mates with an Arumpet. Oh my gosh. Oh, the Arumpet right. wants to. The Arumpet was definitely very into him. And Queenie's like, what the hell? <laughs> Be like, sorry, the Arumpet will never take away my agency. 
All right. Well, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by writing or sending a voice message to mugglecast at gmail.com. For the latter, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. Speaking of feedback, Laura, what is our next discussion? Next week, we're going to be talking about Snape and Lily and their friendship slash Snape's unrequited love for Lily, what that meant. We're going to really dive deep on this and talk about these dynamics um, because there are aspects of this relationship that are problematic. um, And there are also aspects of it that are pretty sympathetic. So I think that we're going to be able to have a really nuanced conversation about what the relationship between Snape and Lily meant um, in a way that I don't think we've done on this show before. I don't think we've ever devoted a whole episode to these two characters dynamic. So Mm. I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I also think we wanted to do this because we noticed that they were both born in January. And like I said, at the top of this Jacob discussion, we try to time Mm. these with their birthdays, try to time these character discussions with their birthdays. So, so yeah. Send in your feedback if you have anything, have any thoughts on Snape and Lily, and we might include it next week. If not, we might include it in a future Muggle Mail episode. I know it's controversial, but my husband and I, our wedding rings do say after all this time. His stays after all this time and mine stays always. (laughs) I think that's very sweet. (laughs) Somebody came to my defense last week, said, I agree with you, Andrew. Maybe it was Roshni. It was was not, but... It, it is a very problematic relationship, but there's something about that line that kind of, you know, it's transcends it. I yeah, I 100% agree. Um, this is kind of a tangent, but it sort of reminds me about when people are really judgy about getting certain kinds of Harry Potter tattoos. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, the relationship between, you know, the reader and the book is sacred and while there may be problematic like social norms or relationships portrayed in the books, what you take away, the themes that really resonate with you, those are special and nobody can touch those. So yeah. I 100% support um, that very cute wedding ring idea, Roshni. That's, that's oh. lovely. All right. Well, it's time for Quizage. Last week's question Which Phelps twin, who plays Fred Weasley in the Harry Potter films, has a scar on his left eyebrow? And this was uh, your your litmus for understanding and finally being able to tell the Phelps twins apart if you struggled with that before. The correct answer, scar above his left eyebrow, it's James Phelps, who plays Fred Weasley. Congratulations to the 50-plus people who did get the correct answer, including... Connor G, Ed and Skip the Dogs, Emma Roberts, Confused Picture, I Don't Have a Cool Name <laughs> Idea, Josh Haskins, Kylie, Last Word is Scar, Leonard Not Skinner, Manda Loves Micah, Raven Connor, Rubius, Tannenbaum, The Evil Weevil, and The Wild Witch of Yorkshire is back. Two Micah references. Great. Love it. There. Stacking up. Micah, it sounds like someone's lusting over you. <laughs> and apparently someone took my last name, too. <laughs> <laughs> And the first name, Rubius. Very nice. Very nice. So next week's Quizit question. This one's a deep cut, and it's from the original Fantastic Beasts uh, pre-script. What was the name of Jacob Kowalski's former 
fiance, i.e. not queenie. Wow. The answer behind this can be found in supplemental material, Case of Beasts. One of the spinoff books. It's not Bunty either. And it's not Bunty. It's not Queenie and it's not Bunty. Those and are it's two not freebies. Yusuf Kama. Submit your answer to us. Over, it might be Yusuf Kama. Submit your answer to us over on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or click Quizich from the top menu of the site. Okay. A couple other reminders. Make sure you're following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Everyone will be automatically sent to you. And leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you use either of those platforms. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, we would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Roshni is a Patreon supporter, and she joined us today. It's one of the benefits if you pledge at the Slug Club level. You get the chance to co-host MuggleCast one day. Thanks for joining us, Roshni. It was great having you. Thank you for having me. Dream come true. Aww, you Aww. were awesome. You were awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Mara. And I'm Roshni. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye.